If you have your Bibles, please join me in John chapter 6. We're going to look at a few other passages and eventually we'll land here towards the end of the message. Uh, Today's message is entitled, Getting Cozy with Gluttony. There's not one of us who wants to do this, so why don't we just close in prayer and we'll (laughs) dismiss for the cookies out there. When I uh, when I when I put that survey out there, I just kind of threw that one in there, and I didn't uh, expect so many people to pick that as one that that they struggle with. As and and, and you know what? I shouldn't be surprised because we're Americans and we we love to eat. Obesity is a huge problem in our country. As I was reading some stats this week, I read that 68 percent of Americans are overweight, and over a third are obese. Um, gluttony is certainly a problem in our country. I was, as I was, reading, I was reading a chapter out of uh, Kyle Eidelman's book, God's at War, this week on, uh, um, on gluttony, and he reminded me of, a, of, a, one, of the, one of my favorite kids' movies that I've enjoyed watching with my children over the years. Uh, it's called Over the Hedge, and if you haven't seen it, it's about a group of critters that, that wake up from hibernation, and they found that they've been displaced by a housing development that's gone up over the wintertime. And so where they normally gathered their food and, and everything, it's, their habitat's all been gone, and they're panicking, and they don't they don't know where they're going to get food. And so in walks RJ, this resourceful squirrel, and he lets them know that the, their food source is still in their backyard. It's humans. And RJ says, listen, we eat to live, but these guys, they live to eat. And then he offers to show the other animals what he's talking about. And they peek in on a human family through a window. And RJ explains, he says, the human mouth is called a pie hole. The person himself is a couch potato. Telephones are devices for summoning food, and one is used, and sure enough, a pizza delivery boy turns up. RJ says humans bring the food, they take the food, they ship the food, they drive the food, and he points to passing trucks with pictures of food on them. He says it seems that everything that people do involves food, and then, and then a scene flashes to the family, a family sitting around the table praying over their meal, and he says, look, that's the altar where they worship the food. And then he points to a treadmill, and that gets rid of the guilt so they can eat more food, food, food. And probably if, if you've seen that movie, you've seen that scene, there's, there's an air of truthfulness that, that rings true for us. And I can attest personally to this, this very real battle with gluttony. And so this is, this is probably the, the least excited message I was uh, tasked with, with sharing with you out of this series. But it's important to consider, and we'll explain why in just a moment. But first of all, I, wanna, I want us to define gluttony. First of all, what is gluttony? What actually is gluttony? I found a definition I really I thought was helpful. John Piper says, gluttony is a craving for food that conquers you. A craving for food that, that conquers you. Cravings that you just can't say no to. Cravings that you have to give in to. See, what we're going to talk about this morning is that gluttony reveals really a, a bigger, more serious sin issue, and it's the sin of idolatry. It's the sin of, of worshiping another God. Gluttony is essentially 
food worship. And we're going to explain more of that in just a few moments and, and why that is and what that looks like. Philippians, in Philippians 3.19, Paul is talking about a group of, group of people who are enemies of the gospel. And, and, and the way he refers to them, he, he says that their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. It's interesting the way he uses that phrase, their God is their belly, their appetites control them. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 23, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Gluttony is an issue that reveals a deeper sin issue in our own hearts. But there's just a couple of things I want to throw out there. I don't think these are in your notes. You can feel free to jot them down. But just a couple of disclaimers here. First of all, food isn't the problem. Food is not bad. God created food. Our bodies need food. All right? Food is not the problem. It's the same thing with, with money, for example. Some people misquote that passage in Timothy, and they say that money is the root of all evil. No, no, no. no Timothy, or Paul said to Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not a, inherently a bad thing. There's so many good gifts that God gave his children, and the problem becomes when we start to abuse them. And food is, is like that. Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Food is not bad. It is, a, it is a gift from God. Secondly, second disclaimer, is that occasional feasting is not bad. So what I don't want you to hear from this message is that you can't enjoy a big Thanksgiving dinner this year, okay? Occasional feasting is not bad. Remember that God proclaimed that Jews were supposed to have feasts to remember certain events throughout their history as a way of celebrating and remembering what God has done. Occasional feasts are not bad. Remember Jesus' Jesus' first miracle? He changed the water into wine at a wedding feast. Typical Jewish wedding feast lasted a a week. Jesus didn't have any problem being a part of a a huge celebration with lots of food and drink. That's not the issue. And thirdly, when it comes to gluttony, The opposite end of the spectrum can also be idolatry. That is, obsessing about food and exercise. That can also be a form of worship, of misdirected worship. When your life is wrapped up in everything you eat and you're spending uh, 10 hours a day at the gym, well, there's probably not one of us who does that, but when you're spending hours and hours a day at the gym and everything in your life revolves around getting in shape and staying in shape and looking a certain way, that can very easily be an idol as well. We wanted to say those things by way of disclaimers. But what's the problem with gluttony? I mean, seriously, I can't think of a sermon I've actually ever heard preached on gluttony. Most pastors, I don't think, talk about it because most pastors, a lot of pastors I know really struggle with it. What's the big deal, though? It seems so insignificant compared to so many of the other big sins. I mean, next week we're going to talk about lust, and uncontrolled lust has destroyed so many marriages and relationships. I mean, what's the big deal about gluttony? Who am I hurting? Why should we devote a message to this? What's the problem with gluttony? Well, there are a few problems that I jotted down. First of all, gluttony reveals a lack of self-control. 
gluttony reveals a problem that that there's no self-control, or there's little self-control in our life. God calls us to reject unchecked impulses, to to get them under control, so to speak, to not not just do the first thing that comes to our mind. I, I still remember as a kid... Maybe I mentioned this before, but um, we were, I still remember very distinctly, we were sitting at a soccer game watching my, my little brother play soccer, and next to me was sitting my, uh, my cousin, who was a few months older than I am, and he was growing at an incredible rate, and because of that, he was having problems in his shins and his knees with, with, with some, uh, the way his bones were growing, and he had a lot, of, a lot of pain right in the front of his knee. And my mom was busy telling a friend about this pain that my cousin Chad was having, and she said, yeah, it really hurts him. And for some reason, I just felt this urge to smack him in the knee at that moment. And in hindsight, I, I should have resisted that urge, but I just went, pop, and he just screamed in pain and rolled out of his chair, and I'm like, I, I guess it does hurt. He's not playing around. That was an impulse I should have resisted. I was driving to uh, pick up Caleb uh, yesterday, and I was driving along 115, and I saw a sign in, in a driveway that said, no U-turns. And immediately, I wanted to stop and do a U-turn. I didn't need to go back anywhere, but immediately, my first thought was, I should do a U-turn. Uh, there, there's lots of things that we can say about sin and, 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 and uh, urges there, but sometimes uh, gluttony reveals that we have a lack of self-control. We're giving in to impulses that, that, that come to our mind. And again, it doesn't just have to be gluttony. It could be shopping and buying stuff. It could be uh, um, uh, sex. It could be all kinds of things that, that we need to make sure that we demonstrate self-control. Uh, Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 2, he says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live what? Live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. God calls us to live lives that are self-controlled, that we don't just give in to the first impulse that pops in our mind. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, I don't want to be dominated by anything. Addictions such as food and drink and other drugs reveal that that we don't have self-control in our life. And God's Holy Spirit wants to produce that within us. Gluttony reveals a lack of self-control. Secondly, gluttony can be a source of comfort. Gluttony can be a source of comfort. Overeating, for many of us, is an attempt to comfort yourself. I'll be honest, I've felt this. At times when I've been stressed out, when I'm frustrated, when I'm upset about something, one of the first things I can do is go to a freezer and look for that ice cream carton. I know that temptation all too well, and I've yielded to it. The Bible tells us that we shouldn't go other places as our primary source of comfort. Can we be comforted by other people and by relationships? Yes, most certainly. But God wants us to find comfort first and foremost in Him. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul goes off and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort 
with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Sometimes we turn to things like food to nurture and soothe and care for our unmet needs or feelings. That's why we call certain foods comfort foods. We may bury our true needs for belonging and love and acceptance and comfort and companionship, telling ourselves we can survive without them. All we need is this in this moment. Whatever you feel tempted to turn to, to find comfort, remind, that, remind yourselves that true comfort can't be found in those things. The true source of being able to have those needs met is in God in God alone. Thirdly, gluttony is a problem because gluttony belittles God. Gluttony belittles God. Let me explain with a quote from Jonathan Bowers. He says, Gluttony, like all sin, distorts the purpose of God's good creation. Food was never meant to be an end in and of itself. It's a means of receiving needed nourishment and a sign pointing us to our need for God. The rhythm of hunger and satisfaction we experience in our stomach is a dramatization of the relationship between God and our very existence. You see, that's why early Christians, and even through to today, many Christians practice fasting. It's it's the process of reminding ourselves that we need God when we feel those hunger pains. We're reminded of just how desperately we need Him. But when we're constantly full, when we're constantly stuffing our face, and we don't experience that feeling of hunger, it's a sense of saying, hey, God, listen, I don't need you. I'm good here because I'm constantly filled up with other things. Gluttony also demonstrates contempt for our brother. It demonstrates contempt for our brother. We don't have time to turn to them, but there are a couple of passages in Luke 16 and 2 Samuel chapter 9, I believe I wrote down, that you can check out later. But do you remember, the passage in Luke is the story of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus tells. Lazarus is down in hell, separated from God, and he sees, I'm sorry, the rich man is, and he sees Lazarus, and he longs. To be in the presence of God, he longs for some relief of suffering. And in that story, it explains that that he was miserly with his food. He was so self-absorbed, so wrapped up in in his stuff, that that he couldn't even spare a few crumbs for the poor. And we're reminded that when we're constantly overeating, when we're, we're constantly satiating this desire for more and more food. We're, we're neglecting other people who don't have any. And if you think that hunger is not a real problem for people in our culture, you need to think again. It is a very real issue. There are children going to bed in our community with hungry bellies. I can think of times even at a church potluck where I've been in line and I've spotted a Final piece of pie up there, up ahead in the line. Ah, I, I saw that pie when it was brought in, and I, I knew I wanted a piece. But now there's only one left. As I'm working my way toward, I'm eyeballing the people in front of me, thinking, I don't think they're cherry pie people. They want the cake. 
They want the cake. And I'm hoping that that piece of pie will last till my turn in front of it. And you're thinking, would it be rude to reach ahead of them a little bit and scoop it out? But what I'm not thinking about in those moments is if there's a cherry pie person behind me. I'm thinking about myself. I want that piece of cherry pie. And I'm not interested in the two dozen people that still have yet to go through the line. I'm just thankful that there's one left for me. And and if we're not careful, that kind of thinking can, can have ripple effects in our Christian life. I'm going to take care of my needs. I'm not looking out for the needs of others. I'm going to make sure that I get what I want. And gluttony can reveal deeper heart issues within our soul that, that, that are, are, are unconcerned about the world around us. Gluttony can demonstrate contempt for our brother. And then finally, as we've already mentioned, gluttony is idolatry. And this is really the core problem with gluttony. You see, when we go to the fridge, when we're frustrated, when we're bored, when we're stressed, if our first thought is to turn to food, we are not going to the fridge to sustain ourselves. We're going to the fridge to worship. You see, God designed it so that He would be the one that meets our needs. That's why He said, you shall have no other gods before you. Him only shall you worship. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us, tell us that, that by giving ourselves to God, that's our reasonable act of worship. And when I instead turn to food to find the things that only I should be receive, that I should only be receiving from God, I am demonstrating that they are better than Him. That they are a better Savior than what Jesus is. That they can meet my needs in a better way than what God can in those moments. Tim Keller has said that an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, to give you what only God can give. Is there something in your life right now that's more important to you than God? Is there something in your life that you turn to when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel stressed out, when you feel sad, when you are struggling? Is there something you turn to before God? When you get an argument with your spouse, when you have a bad day at work, and you get a chance to be alone, what's the first thing you do? Is it to grab a bottle? Is it to open the fridge? Flip on the TV? Or is it to turn to God and cast, as He calls us, to cast all our cares upon Him because He cares for you? Again, we said food is not the problem. Food is not bad. Uh, J.A. Metters has written that idolatry is a rotten reverse recycling of God's gifts. I like that. Idolatry is usually taking something that's good, a gift from God, food, drink, the creation around us, people, hobbies, 
hunting, fishing, quilting, scrapbooking, pets, money, sex, power, even our family. Turning these good gifts from God into paltry substitutes for God. John Calvin has said that the human heart is an idol factory. We have a tendency to find these things that He has given to us. Things that He intends for us to enjoy and to warp and to twist and to melt them down into idols that dishonor Him. My question today is a broad question. Are there idols in your life? Are there things that are more important to you than God? And you can often tell by what you spend your time with and what you spend your money on. Those are often good indicators of potential idols in our life and what you turn to when you are struggling. And if one of those is food, then ask God for the strength to root that idol out of your life. I just have a couple thoughts here as we close. Defeating the idol of food. How do we defeat this idol of food? First of all, find satisfaction in Christ. Find satisfaction in Christ. I promised you we would get to John 6, and here it is. I just want you to see something. Jesus had just performed the miracle of, of, of uh, multiplying the loaves and the fishes, and people were thrilled. And remember, he walked on the water, and he went to another, another place across the, the water uh, with his disciples, and the next day the crowds found him. They discovered him. And in verse... Um, Verse 26, it says, uh, verse 27, Jesus says to them, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. You see, Jesus knew that they were coming after him for what they could get materially. And he called them out on it. He even says in a later verse, he says, Listen, you're, you're just here because you had your bellies filled. And he wanted to see that he was about something bigger than meeting their physical appetites. That he was there to meet needs that they weren't even addressing, that they weren't even looking at in their lives. But needs that were ultimately more important. And look down at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, Jesus is reminding the people that there are cravings in our soul. They can never be met by anything other than Him. And we are constantly trying to plug those with stuff that were never intended to fill us up. And Jesus said, I want you to know that beyond all these, these physical things that you can see beyond you, I come to meet needs that go way deeper than a hungry belly. I'm here to meet the needs of your soul. And he wanted them to know that only by turning to Christ could those needs be met. It's the same thing that we looked at a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
Jesus said, seek first. Seek first me and my kingdom. Secondly, just practically, recognize your triggers. I think about the things, the times when I overeat, there are times when I'm bored, there are times when I'm stressed out, when I'm frustrated about something, maybe it's when you're sad, you're, whatever it is, recognize, when are those times when I, when I turn to food, and what can I do to instead turn to Christ to meet those needs? And then finally, cultivate the habits of praying and fasting. Prayer, because we can go to God saying, God, I really want to just go and make myself a huge sandwich, but it's 10 o'clock at night, I already ate dinner, and I'm really not all that hungry, but I just feel like i got to have something in my hand while I watch this show. God, I need help right now. I need your help right now. Don't think that that's a silly thing to pray for. God, help me to turn to you instead of this craving right now. And cultivate the habit of fasting, because it's so important for us to be reminded from time to time in a very physical way that God alone is the one that meets our needs. And when we go without food for a certain period of time and our stomach's growling, those are the moments when we go before the Lord in prayer and saying, God, just as my body longs for food right now, my soul longs for you. I need you, God. That's what fasting reminds us of. It wasn't my plan to preach this message on a day when we celebrated communion, to eat at the, at the Lord's table. But it's interesting because as we come here, maybe you forgot to eat breakfast this morning, or those in second service, their belly might be starting to rumble for lunch. Notice we're not coming up here before the table to have that hunger satiated. Most of us did not have our rumbly belly satisfied with that little bite of bread. And see, we're reminded through the, through the celebration of the Lord's table, even, even in this act of our worship here, that we're reminded of just how desperately we need God. In the same way that He calls us to come before Him, to have that bread in remembrance of Him, so too that, that hungry belly can remind us of our desperate need for Christ. So when I'm tempted to turn to ice cream, to a double whopper or a deep fried Snickers to satiate my hunger that's not really real hunger, let's instead turn to God and come to Him as the one, the only one who is worthy of our worship. Let us set aside the idol of food or whatever other idol that you may be turning to for comfort. Let's stop getting cozy with gluttony. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a strange and and awkward topic for me to preach on because you know it's something I battle with every single day. God, I pray that we would see our gluttony, that we would would see the idols of our life, whatever has become more important to us than you, whether that's food, 
whether that's a, f- a few beers in the evening, whether that's vegging out in front of a TV, family, hobbies, relationships, work. Help us to be able to see anything that has become more important to us than you. And I pray, O oh God, for the grace to root that out with intensity, <laughs> to, to remove all idols. Like when, when Moses came down from the mountain and he, and he saw the calf, he, he absolutely had to get that, that golden piece of garbage out of the midst of his people because he knew that if it stayed, they would always be turning back. God, help us to spot the idols in our life and help us to get them out so that our worship before you will not be impeded by any miserable substitutes. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.